0: Right. Well, good morning to you. It's great to be with all of you this morning. I just want to say welcome and we're grateful that you're here. And if you're visiting for the first time, thank you for being here. It's such an honor for me to be up here in front of you. I want to thank Peter Garcia for the opportunity to be up here and speak to you today. And uh, last week we started this series called When God. And we've been talking about this universal frustration, a frustration that I think we all have. And even if you're not a Christian, even if you're here today and and you just believe, or if you're here today and you're not even sure what you believe, but you're just going through such a hard time in your life where you're just kind of lobbing up prayers to God, like to whom it may concern, or if anybody is out there. No matter what you believe today, and no matter where you're coming from, there will be a time in your life If it hasn't happened already or if you're not going through it right now, there will be a time in your life where you will feel like God is either inattentive, uncooperative, or perhaps just late. Inattentive, uncooperative, and late. And one of the things that really makes this challenging for us is that when we're going through these seasons, when we're going through these times of our lives, and we're pleading with God, and we're begging God, and we're asking God, and we're just saying, God, I need an interview. God, I need a job. God, I need a date. I'm not asking you to get married. God, I just want a date. God, I need insurance. God, I need to feel better. I need my marriage to be healed. I want my son to go, come home, whatever it might be. What makes these times so challenging for you and I one, of the I, one of the reasons why I think this makes this so challenging for us is that when we're in these times, we look around at everybody else, we look around at everyone else, And it seems like everything is going just fine. Don't don't you hate when that happens? When you look around and everyone else seems to be going on and, and life is just perfect for them and life is just good? I can't stand it when that happens. I don't know about you. But in fact, when you look around, the people that you see, they might not even be good people, right? They may not even be good people. You're like, they're not even asking God. They're not even praying to God and things just happen for them magically things just seem to like appear for them and you hear you are saying God all I'm asking for is fill in the blank God all I don't I don't need a car I just need some transportation God I'm not asking you to be rich I just need a job and it just seems like if God is there if God cared about you surely he would answer your prayer and it's not just a day for some of us it's not just a weekend but for some of us there're seasons in our lives where we feel like god is inattentive uncooperative or late and maybe you're in the middle of this you know one of these seasons in your life right now where you're praying for your husband you're praying for your wife and but they're not showing any signs of coming back or wanting to work on your marriage maybe you have a prodigal son a prodigal daughter But they're not showing any signs of coming back. Maybe it's a health situation for you. Maybe it's a health situation for somebody that you love. And again, it's a job thing. It's a relationship thing. It's a future thing. And we can begin to thank this. We can start to ask this question. Why isn't God answering my prayer? Why? Why isn't God answering my prayer? This is simple. I'm just trying to to be normal. I'm just trying to be average. Why would God be so apparently inattentive to what I am asking Him to do? You know, if you stay, if you stay in one of these seasons long enough, you, you, you begin to have some really big doubts about God. And, and you don't doubt just the character of God. You're not just doubting the nature of God or whether God loves you or not. But you can begin to wonder, is there a God at all? And it happens to all of us at some point in our life. And and even though that thought, it's completely irrational. There's no rational connection with that thought. But after a while of feeling like God doesn't care, after a while of feeling like God's not going to answer my prayers, you begin to wonder if there is a God at all. Because after all, if God could, then He would do it for you. And you meet people and I meet people. Or maybe you're in a season in your life right now where you have begun to doubt God. You know, another reason that makes this difficult for us is maybe it's your background. Maybe you grew up with a church background or a religious upbringing where you were taught, well, if you just have enough faith, if you just have enough faith, then God will surely answer your prayer. And so you feel like there's something wrong with you. You feel like there's something wrong with your faith. Or maybe you grew up in a church. Where they said, if you would just give more, then God would honor you and he would bless you. Or if you would just serve more, God would honor you and he would bless you. And if there is sin in your life, then God is not going to hear your prayer. And so you're in this season where God just seems so inattentive, uncooperative, and late. And maybe you're looking yourself in the mirror and you're just saying, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Why can't I seem to get over this? And so before we jump into the text this morning, I want to make a statement about that. Because for some of you, if you can't get over this hurdle, it's going to be really hard for you to follow anything that I say today or anything that's said next week. And so the statement is simply this. God's lack of cooperation. God's lack of cooperation is not an argument. For or against His existence. Now this is a big deal because emotionally it seems like an argument, doesn't it? It's hard emotionally when you're in the middle of this. Emotionally it's like, well, God's been so unattentive. And God, it just seems like He's not there. And so emotionally for us, we just like make that leap and start to assume that there must not even be a God. But again, there's no rational connection between whether whether or not God cooperates with you and whether or not God exists. In other words, if someone's lack of cooperation was proof that they didn't exist, then there would be times in my life where I wouldn't believe that my wife existed. And, and I know she is an awesome woman. She is incredible. She's, I, you, me, I love you so much. But there would be times I'm like, man, she doesn't exist. Or there might be times in, in her life where she's walking around our apartment and she's going, there is no mic. There is no Mike. There is no Mike. I don't believe in Mike. You know, if someone's lack of cooperation was a proof of existence for you high school students, you might not believe you have parents. And parents, you might not believe that you have any children. Why? Why? Because a lack of cooperation does not prove whether something does or does not exist. But when you are in the middle of one of these seasons in your life, where God just seems so absent, where God seems so silent, it's easy just to begin to make the assumption that there must not even be a God at all. And maybe you're there this morning. I'm not sure where you are this morning. Maybe this is what you've been feeling. Maybe you've gone through something like this before. Maybe you haven't. So one of the reasons why we decided to do this series is that when you look in the Bible, when you look through scriptures, you're going to find men and women that God absolutely loved. He obviously loved these people. But if you were to drop into certain chapters of their life, if you were to drop into certain uh, segments of their life, it would be easy for you to assume about them what's easy to assume about us. And that is that God was inattentive, uncooperative. And late, and so I thought it would be fun if for no other reason to create a new category for some of us, a new category for us to know that you can go through seasons of your life where God seems inattentive, uncooperative and late. And check this out. It is not a reflection of how God feels about you. Hear that this morning. You can go through these times in your life, but it is not a reflection of how God feels about your faith. And it is not a reflection of of how God feels about your obedience. That men, that God absolutely loved, He knew their name. And yet they went through seasons of their life where it seemed like God was absent. We looked at the life of John the Baptist last week. And in that, we learned that God was seemingly inattentive to what John the Baptist needed. And so this week, we're going to talk about a guy that if you grew up going to church, you know his name. And even if you didn't grow up going to church, I'm pretty sure you've heard his name still. You just may not know his story. And so this guy, we meet him as Paul in the Bible. And later on, we know him as Paul, right? How many people have heard of Paul before? Okay, most of us have heard of Paul. And Paul was the guy that took the gospel. Paul was the guy that took the truth about Jesus and started to spread it all over the world. Paul spent 20 years of his life, think about this, he spent 20 years of his life getting on a ship, traveling all along the Mediterranean Rim, introducing the idea that God has done something unique in the world. Taking this message into hostile environments and telling people that Jesus came into the world to die for the sins of mankind. And as Paul traveled, he was shipwrecked, He was beaten up. He was stoned. He was put into prison. He almost drowned. Every single day of Paul's life was an adventure. Every day. And clearly God knew his name. And clearly God had a specific purpose for Paul. And God did great miracles through Paul. If you've read, you know this. And again, for 20 years of his life, Paul did nothing but serve God faithfully. He did nothing but give his life to God in a faithful way. But Paul actually became a follower about three years after the resurrection. And before that, if you know, some of you might know this, he persecuted the church. Paul was a great persecutor of the church. His goal was to stamp out this religion that was some you know, knockoff, some branch of the, of the religion of Judaism. And his goal was to crush this, this movement. His goal was to crush it once And for all. But then he became a a disciple of Jesus. And when he became a follower of Jesus, Paul was like all out. Paul was all in for Jesus. And after he became a disciple, he spent a few years training. He spent some time with Peter. He spent some time with James, the brother of Jesus. That must have been cool. And then for 20 years, he launched out into the world to, to tell people about Jesus. People that had never heard the message before. And very soon after he became a disciple... The Bible tells us that Paul was afflicted with some kind of physical ailment. At least that's what we think. And uh, and in fact, it was such a big deal that it became an obstacle to do the very thing that God had called him to do. And so, when the Apostle Paul realized that this affliction was going to keep rising up, that it was going to keep flaring up, and again, we're not sure what it is, but when he realized this thing is going to keep tormenting him, that it was such a big deal, he began to do what I think you would do, and I think he did what I would do. And he began to ask God to remove it God, please remove this affliction. But God told him, no. I don't care how faithful you are. I don't care how long you pray or how obedient you are. I don't care how long you fast, Paul. I don't care what you promise or how you bargain. The answer to this one, Paul, who I love, I called, I have a great plan for your life. My answer for you, Paul, is no. 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 This is Paul. He wrote letters that make up over half of the New Testament. And God said, no. No, I will not remove this. Now, if we stop the message right there, this should be a great, a great encouragement for all of us in the room today. And I could walk off stage and you should leave encouraged. Because you think God doesn't exist. You think God doesn't care about you. You think that God is not there. I want you to know one of the men that God used more than any other man in the Bible, besides Jesus, once the New Testament started, God told him, No. No. But in response to his request, God promised him something else. And what God promised the Apostle Paul, I believe from experience, but also because of what the Scriptures say, he promises you and he promises me. Now, if you have your Bible, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And if you're new to our church, we, we put the scriptures up here and you can go ahead and follow along up there. But uh, let me kind of tell you what's going on as we drop into this conversation. The book of 2 Corinthians is a letter that the Apostle Paul had written to the church in Corinth. He had written this letter to Christians in the city of Corinth. And this is a church that Paul had started. And in this letter, he is describing to them his experience. He's describing to them his story. And as a part of the story, he says that God had revealed such remarkable things to him to share with the church that in order to keep him humble... God had allowed him to experience this affliction in his life. And in describing his story, he gives us an insight of what we can expect when God says no. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to start in the middle. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited because God had revealed such remarkable things to him. I was given a thorn in my flesh. Now many of you have used this phrase for years to describe your boss, perhaps. Right? Some of you have used this to maybe to describe, and I'm sorry to say it, maybe your mother or your father-in-law, maybe you've used that to describe them, or maybe you used it to describe your coaches or your teachers, whoever it might be. You didn't even know you were quoting scripture, did you? You were quoting scripture, and this is where it came from. A thorn in my flesh and in Paul's case in Paul's case it was literally some sort of irritation some sort of physical ailment that just followed him wherever he went it says i was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger of satan to torment me now paul is telling us that whatever this thing was whatever this thorn in his flesh was it was so awful That it tormented him. He was tormented by it. Most likely every single day. Most likely every time he woke up or he traveled or he he spoke somewhere. It was a constant torment to him. Some people think it was reoccurring epilepsy. That he would just collapse on the ground and start having a seizure. Some people uh, think that it was reoccurring malaria. Or we do know that Paul had really bad vision. He had really bad eyesight. We just don't know. We're not sure. All we know is it was some kind of physical ailment that was just a constant torment to him. Every place he went and every place he tried to do ministry. Now, I want you to imagine this. Take a second. Relax. Okay. Loosen up. Okay. You with me here? Imagine this. This is the guy that God, that God had called to do probably one of the most important things in this generation. God called him to do one of the most important things that anyone could ever do. And at the end of the t- end of the day, Paul was successful at what he did, wasn't he? Yeah. Paul was very successful. And so all he is saying, and again, I think that we can relate with this, but what he is saying is, God, I'm just asking you to do what I've seen you do for other people. Heal me. God, I'm just asking you to do what I've done for other people. Heal me. In fact, in verse 8, Paul says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, this doesn't mean I prayed Monday afternoon. I prayed Tuesday afternoon. Wednesday, I woke up late, so I, I wasn't able to pray that day. And then Thursday, I prayed. And then I just said, Oh, what the heck? I, forg- I give up. You know, it's just not going to happen. That's not what's going on here. No, these are like seasons of prayer. Seasons of prayer, probably when things got so bad that Paul just thought to himself, I'm not able to go on. I'm not able to carry on with this affliction. That three different times in this 20 year period where Paul served God, Paul pleaded with him day and night, prayed and fasted, maybe, we don't know. But it got so bad that he didn't just ask God to remove it. He pleaded with God. To remove this affliction. And again, I want you guys to think about the bargaining power that Paul had. You know how we bargain with God? You know, God, I promise I'll go to all Sunday services. I'll go to all Easter and Christmas services. I promise I'll give more. I promise I'll serve more. I promise I'll do this. I'll never drink again. God, I promise, I promise, I promise I'll never do that. God, I'll never do this again. I promise you. Imagine how the, how the Apostle Paul could bargain with God. He had great bargaining power. And three times Paul had said that he pleaded with God to take this away. Now again, if we stopped right there, I just want to remind you, isn't this encouraging? Okay, I just want to take a break here and just remind you, this should be encouraging for you. I could walk off stage and you should be encouraged today. Isn't it nice to know that someone that God had loved, someone that God had called to use in an incredible way, and God said, no. Sorry, Paul. No. In fact, he goes on. He says in verse 9, but he said, and here's where the Apostle Paul, I think, pulls ahead of us. I think this is where we kind of, get separated from Paul a little bit. Because I think for many of us, and I think you would agree, we would just like to hear anything from God. Right? I mean, you would just settle for anything. Even no would be encouraging because no means that God knows you're there. No means that God knows you're alive. That He's heard your prayer. That He knows that you're in trouble. I mean, just to hear anything from God would be a huge encouragement. You know, one of the frustrations for us many times is that we pray and we pray and we pray and we ask and we ask and we ask and we bargain. We bargain with God. We manipulate and we promise and we do all the things that we think we need to do and yet we hear nothing. I mean, you're pouring your heart out to God and then you just you, you don't get the response that you're hoping for. It's silence. And in Paul's case... He actually got an answer. Paul actually got an answer. And even though you may never get a specific answer like the Apostle Paul, I think God's answer to Paul is something that I think I know with certainty is available for you this morning. God's answer to Paul is something that is available to you this morning. And the reason I know that is not simply just from my experience and not simply just from the Bible, even though I believe that. But I have met many people. I have met many people who would be able to identify with what God had promised Paul next. They would be able to understand, to relate with Paul. And as Paul finished up yet another season of pleading with God to remove whatever it is, he says, but my grace is sufficient for you. No, Paul. But my grace is sufficient for you. For you, I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do, but my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to do what you want me to do even when you think you need it, but my grace is sufficient for you. You're going to have to go another season of your life dealing with this thing, this affliction, but my grace is sufficient for you. Grace in this context, grace, when you look at it right here, is the ability to put one foot in front of the other. Grace in this context is the ability to keep moving forward. It's the ability to get up and go one more day. It's the ability to go to work and endure it one more time. To come home to the unexpected one more afternoon. To keep on going in spite of the fact that nothing has changed. To find the energy, to find the strength, and to find the faith to keep moving in the direction that God would have you move. And so God says to the Apostle Paul, who he loved, No, no, I'm not going to remove this physical affliction, this physical problem, but I'll tell you what I am going to do, Paul. I'll tell you what I am going to do. I'm going to give you the strength to keep moving forward. I'm going to give you the strength to keep going one more time, one more day. My grace is sufficient for you. That means God's grace is more than enough for you. And then look at this next statement For my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, none of us would sign up for this if God was like, All right. Who wants me to show my power through their weakness? And you're like, yeah, me, pick me, God. No, no one would do that. None of you would sign up for this. You want to be the guy that's just standing in the end zone, just scored a touchdown. You got the football on one arm, and then you got your finger up, and you're like giving God the glory. That's who we want to be. We want to be the guy rounding third base, just trotting. And you see your team, and you're just like, giving God the glory. You want to be that guy for for the women in the room. I don't know, maybe you there's a sale and you got the last blouse, right? And you're standing in the at the checkout line and you're just like, "Giving God the glory." Maybe that's you. We're all about giving God the glory. Aren't we? We're all about giving God the glory, but we do not. We do not want God to leverage our weakness. We want God to leverage our strength. Isn't that what you want? You want God to leverage your strength, not your weakness. We want God to leverage His glory through our talents, through our abilities, through our accomplishments. We want to be on that podium with the trophy in our hand, right? I want to thank all my friends that helped me get to where I'm at today. And last but not least, I want to thank my Lord up in heaven. I want to thank God for getting me here today. And everybody that you know is there, and they're just like, woo! They're like, yeah! And they're so proud of you. Your wife, she's so proud of you. And your husband, she's so proud of you. Or he's so proud of you, I guess. And, uh, you know, we want to get glory. We want God to get glory from us, but we want Him to get it through our strengths. We don't want God to leverage our weaknesses. We want Him to leverage our abilities our accomplishments, our talents. And we will be quick to give God glory from our strength, aren't we? When something great happens, we're quick to just give God the glory. Like, we want the People's Choice Awards. Like, we want the Emmy. We want everybody's attention to be on us. And then we can thank our producers. We can thank all the people who helped us get there. We want to be the one that says, I want to thank my Lord, Jesus Christ, up into heaven. It's getting me. To this place, and everyone, all the Christians are just clapping their hands, and they're like, Woo! That's right. That's right. I love it when famous, successful people give glory to God, don't you? I mean, I just want to be one of those people, don't you? I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I, it's like, God, leverage my success. God, put me in the spotlight. And when you put me in the spotlight, I'm just going to. I'm just gonna Tebow. God, put me in the spotlight, and when you do, I'm just gonna I'm gonna give you the glory. And God does that sometimes. God does that sometimes. And then sometimes God says, No, no. I'm not going to leverage your success. I'm not going to leverage your abilities and your accomplishments and the talents I gave you. In this case, in this case, I'm going to leverage your weakness. I'm going to leverage your inability. I'm going to leverage what some people might think is a failure. And I'm going to get glory from you. But I'm going to do it from the stage of your weaknesses, not your strength. My grace is sufficient for you. Now, the good news is we don't get to choose. God doesn't give us the opportunity to choose which one, our strengths or our weakness, right? That's good news this morning. But let me ask you a question. Isn't it true? Isn't it true, especially if you're a Christian, isn't it true as a Christian when you meet another Christian with with circumstances that just make you shudder? I mean, you leave a conversation and you're just like, God, I am so glad that I don't have that. God, I'm so glad that I don't have to manage that in my home. God, I'm so glad that I don't have to manage that kind of marriage or deal with that kind of boss or deal with that kind of financial setback. I don't know how I would deal with it. I don't know how I would deal with that. And you begin to scratch below the surface. You scratch below the surface and you find some people where it seems like God says no, but they have peace, don't they? They have peace in their heart. And if you talk to them enough, eventually you'll get it out of them. They'll say, you know what? His grace is sufficient for me. That somehow God has chosen not to make me strong, But he's decided to showcase his strength on the stage of my weakness. Aren't those some of the most impressive disciples that you've ever met? Aren't some of those people the most impressive Christians that you've ever met in your life? I mean, I love the guys in the end zone. I love the guy rounding third base. I love the People Choice Award. I love the Emmys. I love the Oscars. Anytime someone's giving the the glory to God, I'm all for that i'm all for that but the people who move you the people who move me the people who just jack our faith up to a whole new level isn't it the people who god has chosen to showcase his strength through their weakness you know we're not super inspired when people are going doing really well in life i mean that might inspire us in a selfish way because I want to have that. But it's the people whose weaknesses that are made strong in God that inspires us, that lifts our, our faith. Aren't those the people that make you scratch your head and you're just like, there has to be a God. There's no other explanation for this. So here's a heads up, if it's in your future. Here's an explanation if it was in your past, and here's some comfort if it's in your current situation. God will, God has, and God is going to show His strength in your weaknesses. He is going to show His strength in your weaknesses when we learn to take no for an answer. If you leave today and you just like forgot everything I just told you, take this statement with you. God will use your weaknesses to become strong, to show his strength when you learn to take no for an answer. And it has nothing to do for about his love for you. It has nothing to do with his love for you or his compassion. It has nothing to do with his presence in your life. In fact, his strength is his presence in your weakness. His presence in your life is when he makes you strong through your weaknesses. Paul goes on in verse 9. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Yeah, but Paul, you've had some successes, right? I mean, you're Paul. You're the Apostle Paul. Look who you are. He says, yeah, but you know what? Let me tell you something this morning. Paul is telling us that I think God really gets to show off best when He shows His strength in your weaknesses. God gets to show off His power when He does it through your weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest, that it may dwell on you, and that it may dwell on me. And then he continues. In verse 10, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. You guys think that, that Paul is just giving up? Do you think Paul is giving up? Do you think he's just making this up? I mean, who would say this? Really? Who would say this? I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You've ever met anybody like that? Think about it. Have you ever met anybody like this? Aren't they the most incredible, the most impressive, take your breath away Christians you've ever met? You look at their life and you're just speechless. To see how this person can remain faithful and be strong even in the midst of such great challenges. Sometimes God says no to us. Sometimes says no. Sometimes He says no. But when He says no, He's actually saying, yes, no, I'm not going to tr- change your circumstances. No, I'm not going to fix that situation in your life. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to fix that. But in the meantime, while you wait... And while you pray, while God works on them, while God works on other people, in the meantime, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Several quick things before we end today. We're going to kind of wrap this up, and then I'm going to to let you hear from somebody else. And uh, number one, number one is this. As we wrap this up, number one is we have permission to ask God to remove our thorns. Did you guys know that? You have permission to ask God to remove your thorns. And it's not that it's a lack of faith. Hear that. Asking God to remove your thorns is not a lack of faith. Whatever or whoever they might be. Second, second point is this. God has permission to say no. God has permission to say no. You have permission to ask, just like God has the permission to say no. Number three, God may choose to showcase His power on the stage of our weaknesses. God may showcase His power and His strength on the stage of your weakness. In other words, it may never change. What you're going through in your life right now, it may never change. Let that sink in for a second what you're going through in your life right now, it may never change. Some things may never get better. Some things may never work out. Some things may never heal. And some things may never come back together. And that is not a reflection of God's lack of concern for you. That does not reflect God's love for you. It is actually an opportunity for God to display His strength in your life. It's an opportunity for Him to display His strength in your life circumstances. Number four. You can't experience God's sustaining grace while resisting his will. You cannot experience God's grace as long as you are resisting his will. Now here's the rub for us. There's a word that we a lot of us have heard in the church maybe before. Maybe you've heard this in Christian circles and, uh, and the word is striving. Do you know what striving is? Striving? Striving. Okay, you guys know what striving is. Okay. Striving with God is being so intensely frustrated with God because God just won't seem to answer your prayer. God just seems like He's just not going to answer you and i'm not going back to that church and i'm not i'm not singing those those songs anymore because they're full of lies and i'm not reading my bible anymore i'm just going to shut god out and when you do that all you think about is god don't you i'm just going to shut god out of my life but you still have all these imaginary conversations with god right you're like in your car and people like think you're crazy they're like looking at you and you're talking to yourself right And God says, you realize those are prayers. Do you realize those are prayers? They're not prayers. I'm not praying. I'm just thinking about you and having conversations about you, but I'm not talking to you. Well, that's a prayer. I'm not praying. Right? Well, then just don't think about me. I can't not think about you, God. Well, at least I have your attention. God says, at least I have your attention, finally. At least you're paying attention to me now. At least you're focused on me. That's called striving. Everybody in this room has experienced striving at some point in your life. And you just can't quit believing. you just seen too much. You think about your past. You think about what God has done in other people's lives. And you just seen way too much And you you try to abandon it for a while and you leave church and you quit reading your Bible, but then you come back. Eventually, you come back. I went through this as a high school student. I left. I abandoned all these things. But I was sitting in a bar, underage, looking at everybody around me and I thought, this is not what my life's about. And eventually I came back. I came back. I could not deny what I've seen. I couldn't deny what God had done in my parents' lives. He had saved their marriage. I could not deny that. And eventually it brought me mad. And it just makes you mad. It makes you mad. You know, you're driving in your car and your kids like turn this radio station to that Christian radio station and you're hearing these songs that just talk about this experience with God, but it's so contrary to what you've experienced. And it just creates this angst in your heart. This anxiety. Why won't God, if there is a God, why won't He answer my prayers? Why is He not answering me? And here's the thing. You will never experience God's sustaining grace as long as you are resisting His will. You'll just become mad and you'll just become bitter. And you know what? You'll still be a Christian because you can't get away from it. You can't get away from it, but you won't benefit from it. You won't benefit. And at some point, you know, if I were to step into your shoes, if I were to hear your story, I mean, woe be unto me if I would just to say, just suck it up. Just buck up. I mean, I would never say that to anyone. I would just listen to your story and just go, oh God, I would feel the same exact way as you feel right now. I would be mad as well. I mean, there's no condemnation in this at all. It's just that god you'll never experience the grace of God in your weakness as long as you're striving against His will. As long as you're striving and you will not take no for an answer. Sustaining grace. Sustaining grace begins with not my will, but your will be done. Sustaining grace begins with the prayer that our Lord Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane that night. God, I don't want to have to go to the cross. God, I don't want to die this way. I don't want to be crucified. Here's what I want. Here's what I don't want. But now that I know what you want, not my will, but your will, be done. Not my will, but your will. Be done and into the gap of what we want from God and what God chooses is sufficient, sustaining, empowering grace. The very power of God. The very power of God, but you will never experience it. I'll never experience it, and you will never experience it as long as we're striving and we're arguing and we're resisting God's will for our life. It begins when we just go. deep sigh, if this is what you have chosen for me, if this is what you've called for my life, not my will, but your will, be done. I'm trusting your strength to do what I just don't have the strength to do myself. I'm trusting you to do that. And you know what? The reason why I can say that with confidence, the reason why I can look across this table at you this morning, with such confidence is not because I've experienced it myself and it's not just because of what I've read. The reason why I can say that with confidence is because the people who I've seen this in, their lives, the people who have overcome, the people whose unimaginable circumstances that God had used these circumstances to show His strength through the incredible weakness of another man and another woman. It's the people who are in the midst of these problems. It's the people who are right in the middle of these seasons of our lives where every single day, and in some cases every single week and hour, I don't know if this ever is going to change. I don't know if this is ever going to go away. But when I am at my lowest point, when I think that I can't go any longer, God's grace is sufficient for me. God's grace is sufficient for me. God's grace is sufficient for you. In my weakness, He is strong. And so I thought it would be appropriate to end this message today letting you hear from someone else. And uh, Craig and Teresa Dickens, are an incredible family in our church. And uh, they have such an incredible story. And we actually, they actually led us into their life. They actually let us do a video interview of them. And I just want to warn you up front, there's some, there's some clicking in the video as you watch it. But ch- just try to, you know, move that aside and, and try to listen to their story. Try to listen to what they, what they have to tell us this morning. And right after the video, we're going to go ahead and take our communion. Thank you.
1: operating a a fairly successful small small contracting business in 2010 business started to to really go downhill so I had no work so I proceeded to to get a job with another company because we were getting behind on our house we were already two months behind I got a job with another company I worked there for a few months got promoted and then a few months after that, I got laid off. At that point, we, uh, we got a little further behind in our house. I, I filed for unemployment. And so we're, we're 90 days back in our house. I just got laid off. And um, in March of 2011, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer. that stuff and then in January my wife her mom was diagnosed <sighs> with a stage cancer yeah it's like wow again so sorry at that point we didn't know what to do because honestly we didn't have the money to keep and send my wife home. So if we send my wife home, we'll the house. So we prayed, and we got with some really good friends of ours. And we were just talking through ideas on how to, to do anything to, to raise money, because we'd already sold everything as much as we could to, to raise money just to stay just current on our bills and be able to pay all our debt. Because at the time everything went under we we probably had like 45 to 50 thousand dollars worth of credit card debt, different things, because we were both making money, and we were about to pay everything off. Well, so that went away because we saw the debt, but we didn't have the money; we didn't have the income anymore. We we learned to, to trust God at levels we've we've never seen before. So we've had to. I mean, I mean you don't know where you're going to get food. The people bring the food. About you yeah. You know, it just shows you that God is still watching you. He's just not, not answering your prayers the way you might hope. Well, Teresa and I were continually able to see God working in other ways, not necessarily the ways we were always asking but the people that God kept bringing into our lives and the way God kept working through things when we are get to the end of the month and have no money left, and yeah. you know, God's provided for us in ways we'd never seen before, because honestly, we'd relied on ourselves quite a bit, because we were able to pretty much do what we wanted as far as our income went. But now, it's honestly, it's better, because we're relying on God more, we have less debt, now, than we did when we were making a lot more money. And God's really shown us different ways and just how to trust Him in ways that we've never been able to. And we never would have been able to if I would have been working and all the different things that have happened hadn't happened. The lowest point in the past couple of years was definitely already being two months behind, getting laid off, and then being diagnosed with, with cancer right after that and enjoying another month behind. Realize that we really might lose our house, which we still could. We're still three months behind trying to work out arrangements with our bank. But yeah, that was just blows back to back to back, and it was a really, really tough time to deal with. There have been so many people that have helped us out, that have brought us dinners, that have actually loaned us money to help us get through. I mean, some of the people that come to mind in our small groups are. Mike and Maria Finn our, actually our whole small group when I got diagnosed, which was Kevin and me, Steve and Leslie Schrelke, Dan and Susan Strobel, Jason and Cindy Thornton. The whole group came together and without us knowing to raise money, they gave us money right after my surgery. And that really helped. Peyton and Lydia Burns, who shepherd the campus ministry, are the ones that actually helped us do the dinner to raise money. For my wife's mom and for my wife to be able to go back to the Philippines to see her. My wife and I have have been overseeing the children's ministry. We've we've never stopped because that's honestly a way for us to be able to get back and to to see hope. It's it's one of the funnest things we do. Get to be there and plan. God's promise, God's faithfulness is what keeps me going. Because through all of this... He hasn't answered many prayers the way I want him to be answered. But he has answered some of the prayers, just not in the ways I'd hoped. Through this, we've become a lot more dependent. And I honestly think we've become more sacrificial and just better servants of his because he's been so faithful to us through everything we've been through. I can't even imagine what life would be like without God.